Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Hey, yes, thanks. Thank you. Man, a lot of people here today. Uh, Bryant did not tell you I was coming, so that's awesome. Um, Thanks for being here. Um, hey, uh, just to get started, can we pray together too, just to start? Um, Father God, um, as an, an Atlanta native, I know the Falcons are your favorite team, but um, we just want to lift up the Buccaneers today uh, for your glory. They are pirates, but they're very nice, and I know you want them to win. Amen. Okay. Um, I'm a Falcons guy, but I'm, uh, I'd rather the Bucs than anybody else right now, so I'm, I'm, I'm down. Okay. When I graduated from uh, business school, I got my first big boy job. You remember when you got your first like big, big person job? Uh, I put on a suit that was, looked like my dad's. It didn't fit very well, but I was very proud, you know, have a tie and suit on and went to downtown Atlanta, my first big boy job. And uh, it was so much fun. I, I, I thought I was doing pretty well. Um, where I was working, most people uh, came into this employment place straight out of the frat house. And I had come out of an MBA program. I had a wife and I mean, these people didn't have dates yet. I had a wife and uh, I, I had a kid almost. So we were expecting our first child. So, I mean, I wasn't that mature, but compared to these guys, I, I looked really good. So I was excited about the job. And after the first, you know, few kind of iterations of, of, of work, like I was kind of doing a good job. And I, I don't know that I was better than they were, but I mean, they were still out on Saturday and Thursday and Monday and Tuesday partying. And I'm like at home, you know, so I was showing up on time. It was pretty good. I didn't know this was coming, but, and if you've worked in a marketplace setting before, you know, um, I, I had an annual review coming. I didn't even know what that was. Um, uh, probably nine months into my time, my boss says, hey, we're going to set up in a month or so an annual review. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. I love annual reviews. And then I went home and I'm like, what's an annual review? Turns out it's just the same, it's like a, it's like a, a report card that you get, you know? I, I grew up going to school. At the end of the year, you get a report card. That's what this was. It was a, a report card on how your year had gone so far. And I thought about how things had been going, and I looked around at my peers, and I thought, well, I mean, how bad can the annual review be? And so the way we did it at this place, they kind of gave you a form to fill out and you answered a bunch of questions about yourself and your boss did too. And then you met and kind of reviewed and compared answers. You've been through these, I'm sure. And so the first time I went through it, it was so kind of, it's kind of exciting. I was, I mean, you know, anxious, but looking forward to being reviewed. And so went to the annual review and it actually went pretty good. Uh, of course, the next year I knew it was coming. So I spent the next year preparing for the review. Like I knew what I was going to be graded on, you know, business acumen. So I was super professional for the next year. You know, I wanted to look the part. I got a suit that fit from that point forward. You know, I, I did all the things because I knew I was going to be reviewed and I wanted to get a really good review. 
So I spent about 10 years in, in the marketplace, and then I transitioned into ministry. My first ministry job, I was a part-time bivocational middle school pastor. So it's really important. Like I, I was part-time technically, although if you've ever worked in ministry, you know there is no part-time ministry. People uh, seem to have problems not when you're on the job. Like nobody has a problem, especially middle school kids. I, I was a middle school pastor. Like none of them at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday made a bad decision. You know, it was always Friday night when I was at home. So I, I, there is no part-time pastoring, but I really love the job. Um, the guy who hired me was a startup church. He hired me. I, I was running my own business, and so he didn't even really pay me. He gave me insurance and a dollar a year. I was like, if you'll just give me insurance, like that's, I mean, that's worth a billion dollars as a small business owner. So he gave me insurance. I was running this middle school program. And I mean, I was having so much fun. And then after probably six, seven months of doing this, I mean, we were growing, things were going well. And his name's Chris Patton. He's the lead pastor. Chris says, hey, Gavin, um, I know you haven't been here uh, you know, a full year, but we, we do annual reviews at the end of the year. And I was like, oh, really? It was like, like, like the marketplace, like that's cool. Like I didn't, I, this is like a real thing. Okay, cool. It was like, well, I'm a part-time bivocational middle school pastor. Let's do the review, you know? And I said, how do we do the reviews? When, when I was in the marketplace, here's what we did. And Chris says, oh, we have a similar thing. I'm gonna give you this form. I'm gonna have one. It has a bunch of different categories and you just rate yourself one to five. One being how in the world did you get this job? Five, best I've ever seen, you know? I was like, okay, cool. So I get the form. He has the form. Uh, we're going to meet in about a month. So just fill it out, you know, before. And the, the way we did it was we would get together for lunch and, and we would compare notes. You know, we'd go, what did you put for number one? I was like, well, I put a six. You know, I know there's only five, but I'm crushing this job. You know, I, I put a four, I put a one, I put a whatever. And then Chris would go, oh, well, I put a four too, you know, you know whatever. And so that's kind of how we did it. So we um, met at this great restaurant, um, had a bison burger with barbecue sauce and bacon and cheese. It was delicious. And, um, and, and Chris and I met, uh, we pull the forums out and we start chatting. And he, he says, well, what'd you put for number one? I was like, well, put a five. He goes, ah, oh, put a five too. So we started going through it. And it was kind of funny when I was filling this form out, I was trying to be honest, you know, like, I wanted to be honest, but the reality is that honestly, I was a five on all the things, basically. I mean, I was really doing a good job as a bivocational middle school pastor. And so I felt like I was crushing this gig. And so, but I, you know, I put a few, I threw a few fours in there, you know, because of humility and stuff. I'm a pastor and you can't be good at everything. So put a few fours in there. So Chris and I are going through it and, you know, the end of the thing, uh, he had more fives than I did. And, and, and so at the end, I was like, well, this went better than I even thought. Like, I mean, not only did he give me all these fives, I threw in some fours to look good. Like, this is great. So the end of the conversation, I will never forget it. This is 18 years ago now. At the very end of the conversation, Chris um, kind of looks over the table at me and he goes, Gavin, he goes, you are doing such a great job, seriously. Like, I, I am so glad to have you on the staff. I mean, I love your salary here. Like, <laughs> just, you're, you're doing a great job. He said, there is one problem. I was like, oh, okay. So I look back at my notes. I'm like, well, I mean, I put, you know, you gave me one four. I can work on that, I guess. I mean, big deal, you know. He goes, the problem isn't on the, the job. He said, the problem is that you know that you're a five out of five. He said, the problem is that you know that you're a five out of five. He said, and I got to tell you, I, 
I think God wants to do amazing things through you and maybe even in you. But if you can't learn to be more humble, and I was like, well, I mean, I put a four on a few of these things. Like, you know. but no, seriously, he said, if you can't figure out how to be more humble and not so confident and kind of cocky and all that, he goes, it's like it's going to really limit what God can do through you. And I mean, that kind of hurt, you know, I, I didn't know what to do with that. And it, but, you know, I thought, well, I, I, I don't want to be not humble. I mean, I want to be pride. I don't want to be prideful. I mean, pride comes before the fall. Pride's not good for anybody. It hurts, damages everything. It was like, I don't want to be prideful. I didn't really feel that prideful, but I didn't, I didn't want to come across. I didn't want to be that way, you know? So I started trying to figure out how to be humble. Like I want to be the most humble person possible, which is kind of prideful. You know, it's like, I'm so humble. Look how humble I am, you know? So I started practicing, studying, reading books on humility, you know, and, and I honestly, I didn't feel like you could just change that overnight. So I decided to like adopt some phrases that sounded humble. So people would start seeing me a little differently, even if I hadn't made it all the way there yet. Um, so I started saying things like in meetings, I would say like, um, uh, I might be wrong, but, and I knew I wasn't wrong, but I would say it that way. <laughs> You know, I might be wrong. Uh, I, this may be a terrible idea. Like I'd be in a brainstorming meeting and I love brainstorming and ideation. And I would say, I mean, this might be a really bad idea. And I, I was a brilliant idea. I knew it was brilliant. But I would start that way because it sounds humble, you know? Um, like, you know, my wife, I love, she's so great. Uh, but Chantel, my wife would say, you know, what should we have for chicken? I'm like, this might be, I mean, for dinner, this might be a bad idea, but I'm, think grilled chicken, you know? Or this might be a, this may be a bad idea, kids, but pick up your room. You know, like really tried, really tried to be crazy humble, really tried to just own all of that and to look humble. And so after practicing for a few years, I felt like it was starting to work. I didn't honestly feel any different, but I thought maybe people were seeing me differently. And so I decided to do something um, that I would never encourage you to do. It was, it's called a 360 review. I don't know if you've ever heard of these things before. Um, you, you, if you ever do one, um, you need to pre-schedule a counseling appointment afterwards. <laughs> a 360 review is like an annual review, but your boss reviews you, but you go 360 degrees around. So your boss kind of inter, you know, reviews you, but then your peers review you as well. The people who work for you review you, and then some friends get to review you. People that are you know not workers, acquaintances, things like that. And so you get all this feedback. It's, 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 it's completely anonymous. So everybody feels free to be very mean in it. <laughs> and so you get the 360 review back. And, and so I did this. I thought, I feel like I'm really crushing this humility thing. You know, I'm like, this may be a bad idea, but I think I'll do a 360 review. I, so I sent it to all the people. You know, it takes about a month, you know. Uh, I get the feedback back. And you know, again, it felt like that first annual review. I was excited because I thought I had made some progress, but a little nervous too, because you don't know what's going to come back in this review. So I get the review back and I begin looking at the results. And there was one word that just kept being repeated multiple times in the review, you know, and, and it was in there several times. And I didn't even know what the word was. The, the word is hubris. You ever heard this word, hubris? I didn't know what it was, so I looked it up, and here's what hubris means. It's excessive pride <laughs> or self-confidence. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. Like, I have been crushing this humility thing. I'm like the most humble person I know, and now I'm hubris pride. Like, I have excessive pride, seriously? Like, super self-confidence? 
I, I don't feel any of that. I, I didn't know what to do with any. I needed a new solution. Obviously, you know, the phrases weren't working. I wasn't, it wasn't cutting it, you know. This may be a bad idea. It wasn't working. So I had to figure out a new solution. And so what I started to do, I just started looking around at some of my peers who seemed to be getting rewarded for their kind of behavior or how they came across or how they looked. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just replicate what's being rewarded. I'll just replicate the behavior of what other people seem to like. And so I became like really focused on other people. Like others became my focus. I um, had several friends I was working with. Um, you may have heard of some of these names, Pro- probably not. Uh, Jeff Henderson, very close friend of mine. I uh, still very close friend of mine. Uh, Jeff was the most encouraging person I have ever met. I thought, well, maybe I just need to be more encouraging. Jeff was so encouraging that people who worked for me would come up to me and say, man, I bet it's great to work for Jeff. And I'm like, I'm standing right here. Like, but I also agreed. I was like, I bet it is amazing to work for Jeff, you know? So I thought maybe I should be more encouraging like Jeff. So I started hugging people, you know, more. Um, Clay, Clay Scroggins, good friend of mine too. So funny, man. Clay is so funny and people love Clay. He's so funny. So I started reading on comedy and studying humor. I thought maybe I could be more funny, you know? Turns out like, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of funny sometimes, but I, it's more sarcastic. Like it's a spiritual gift to be honest. So, um, but that can hurt. Like, have you noticed that? Sarcasm is like, oh, that's funny until it's a sword and it's not, you know? So I was like, maybe I should be more like Clay, just be more funny. Joel Thomas was a good friend. I worked with him. Joel, I've never met anybody more connected, networked. I mean, I, I love Joel and thought, well, maybe I should just be more networked. And so I started, you know, doing LinkedIn more and, you know, all this stuff. I'm just doing everything I can to be like those people, to be more like those people because their reviews didn't have hubris all over it. You know, it was like hubris vomited on mine, not theirs. So maybe if I could just be more like them, you know, maybe, maybe that will really help. But, but here's what kind of happened. You know, I, I started focusing so much on them and focusing so much on trying to be like them, look like them. I actually kind of even lost sight of maybe who I was in a way. And that's true of all of us. Like when we become so focused on somebody else, you really lose sight of who you could be when you become so focused on who you aren't or who you weren't meant to be. Like when you become so focused on others, you really do lose sight of yourself. You lose sight of maybe who you could be or should be, or if I could say who, who God wants you to be, who God you know, made you to be. The more focused I became on Jeff and Clay and all these other incredible leaders I was working with and pastors, I mean, it doesn't, didn't help me at all. I, I don't think I looked less hubris. I don't think it made me look less confident. In fact, it eroded my confidence, actually. It, it, it really made me feel so much worse. I was not confident as a leader for a while. I felt not confident um, as a public speaker. I did that a lot. I didn't feel confident um, at home. I don't think I was really confident as a dad, as a husband. I mean, in every area of life, you know, I felt so much more judged. I felt so much more kind of uh, just uncomfortable, you know, in my own skin. Um, I was leading a very large church at the time. I mean, we 
gosh, we had like 8,000 people every Sunday. And so, um, I mean, it was a big church. And so everywhere I went in the community, uh, I mean, you know, everybody knew me because of that. Um, uh, they didn't know you, but they knew you from like being up here, you know? So everywhere we went, people would want to shake your hand. You know how it is, man. When you're like in power, everybody wants to say hello. And, you know, and I'm like, man, I, I don't have any power, but they think you do. And so, you know, everybody wants to be your friend. And I was so awkward. I, I, I didn't even want to go out. I didn't want anybody to say hey to me. I, I didn't want to meet anybody because I just felt so unworthy. I, I, I don't know, just felt terrible about kind of who I was. And, and the reality is that, you know, pride and, and hubris, pride and hubris are really more from being overconfident. Uh, pride and hubris come from overconfidence. And I felt anything but overconfident. Uh, I didn't feel confident at all. It was the opposite of that. I, what I really had was like, I can almost call it more of a, a virus. Like it was a little bit more of a virus than, and you know how like a virus is, you know, you, you, you get a virus and you start sneezing, maybe you have a runny nose, sore throat, congestion. So you start treating the symptoms, but the virus is the problem, not the symptoms. The symptoms just prove that you have a problem, but dealing with the symptoms doesn't really rid the problem. And that's really what I found myself doing. There was this virus that was festering in my heart, in my soul, and I was trying my best to figure out how to get rid of it, but I was just dealing with symptoms. And here's the thing, that virus exists in every one of us. It exists in us when we're children. It just gets worse as we get older. It's been around, I think, since the beginning of humanity, probably. The, the, the hard thing about this virus, though, is that the symptoms play a little differently in each of us. It looks a little different in each of us. I made a bunch of notes of how this kind of plays out. I'm going to read some of them to you in a second. Um, now, as I read these things to you, you're probably going to think of people who, oh yeah, that's, I know people like that. You may be sitting beside me. Don't elbow anybody um, as I read them out. Um, but in, instead of thinking about the people you know, I, I just would encourage you for a minute to think about yourself for a second, you know? Do any of these things kind of play out in you? And maybe if you see something that might remind you of you or you've been set, told that that's you, maybe, maybe you have the infection. I don't know. Here's some of the things that this thing can make people do. Um, it can make you look prideful. It can make you look overly confident, look arrogant. That was certainly me. I didn't feel that way at all. I felt so not confident but it, I sure looked like I felt that way. It can make you bully others. I don't really think I did much of that. Um, but you know, this thing is why people bully people. It is the reason they bully people. It, it can make you look like a know-it-all. You ever been around somebody who's like everywhere you go, they've got like a fun fact. And they just wanna, I mean, you know, and you like facts, that's cool, but, but you're doing it not because it's fun, just because you want people to think you're super smart. Right? You just want people to think you're so smart. You know, you, 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 I'm not you, but you know somebody, you know, like you're, you go and there's like a brick building. You're like, well, those bricks are at a 45 degree angle because you're like, just shut up with the bricks, you know? <laughs> but why? Because there's this virus in them. They want to be seen as smart. They want to be seen as intelligent. Um, it, it can make people um, refuse to ask for help in the workplace. In the workplace, this is where micromanagement really happens a lot. This virus makes people want to be in control. They become micromanagers. You can become indecisive or uh, afraid. 
Indecisive is something I have never really struggled with. In fact, most people would tell me who know me that I should take more time to make decisions. Um, But afraid, yeah, Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I remember the first time um, I had an opportunity to go paddleboarding. I uh, I didn't go. Uh, I was going to rent a paddleboard. We were in the Gulf in 30A. It was beautiful. The water's so you know smooth. And my wife says, "Oh, rent a paddleboard." And I was like, "Nah, I don't want to do it. It's too expensive." But you know, the real reason I was afraid. I didn't want to like be bad at paddleboarding, which everybody's bad at paddleboarding. I, it's just, you know, whatever. But I mean, and, and by the way, nobody cares. Nobody's sitting on the beach going, look at that moron, you know, like nobody. <laughs> but this virus was sure making me feel that way. Um, it can make you overly concerned about your self-image. It can make you avoid conflict. A couple of more, this, this virus, this thing can make people strive to prove themselves or perform for others. It can make you take credit for everything that happens. You know, people like this, you know, who there's an accomplishment and they, they, they want to take credit. And maybe they should have some credit, but they, they want all the credit. Or maybe, maybe you accomplished something, but somehow they've turned the spotlight back to them. What is that? That's that virus in them. It causes people to become jealous and envious. I, I certainly had that. I mean, I would look at Jeff and think, well, I wish people wanted to work for me like they do Jeff. I wish people thought I was as funny as Clay. I wish, I wish people would invite me to host their event like Clay. I mean, Clay gets invited all the time because he's so funny. I mean, maybe if I was more like that, I'd get more opportunities. So envious of that. It can make us judgmental or hypocritical. I mean, this list of stuff is pretty common, right? And we see it everywhere. And I mean, come on, don't raise your hand, but you see those things in you, at least one or two of them. We all have those things in us. Why? Because we're all infected with the virus. And the virus isn't actually pride, even though it can look that way. And it's not hubris, even though it might look that way. The the real issue is something else. It's insecurity. That's really what the virus is. The virus is just insecurity. Do you know what insecurity really is? Insecurity is when we're like not comfortable. We're not comfortable with with being who we are because we are consumed with who we aren't. That's what insecurity is. It's just not being comfortable in who you actually are because you are so consumed with who you're not. When When I think about that, season in my life where the virus was just festering and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to articulate what was really happening. And, and people would say, Gavin, why are you so cocky? And I would say, man, if you knew me, you would never, I, I'm not that. Like, why are you so confident? I'm like, I don't, I'm not. I, I look that way, I guess. But if you could see inside of my heart, you wouldn't see anything like overconfidence. If anything, you'd see a scared little kid. And maybe it just looks that way. I mean, really for me, I mean, pride is self-confidence, right? Pride is self-confidence, but insecurity is self-doubt. And I was just plain insecure. I was just so insecure. And I think that's probably true for all of us on some level. I mean, it starts when we're kids and we're told to be better at something or to perform better, to try harder. And, and it's, you know, not a bad thing all the time. We should strive 
for greatness or strive to be the best version of ourselves. But that striving to be the best version of ourselves turns into striving to be the best version that everybody else wants us to be. And eventually it just festers into a mess and we don't even know who we are anymore. And we just feel lost and we feel so insecure. I mentioned that this has been a a thing since the beginning of time, and I think that's probably true. Um, When I really discovered that my issue wasn't pride, it was insecurity, I started trying to figure out what to do with that. And that's hard to figure out. It's not easy. It's not obvious. I opened the Bible up, right? I'm a pastor. I'm like, the answer is probably in here. I'm sure God has an answer for this. But, you know, you, you can't find a story where God says, and to cure your insecurity, I mean, it's just not that clear. And so then I started looking for people in the Bible who maybe struggle with insecurity. And again, you know, there isn't like a moment where you're like, and Moses, due to his insecurity, I mean, it's just not that easy, you know? But, but I did come across this one guy, and he's a pretty big deal in Scripture. He's a pretty big deal in our faith. It's King David. David's story is so interesting. There's no moment in the story where, you know, David says, I was insecure, so I, however... When you read the story of David and kind of how he found out about being king and how things played out, you just have to imagine that he was living with a significant amount of insecurity. If you've ever heard about this guy, David, he is such an interesting guy. Um, he, of course, is growing up as an Israelite. He's a Jewish guy and he has a dad named Jesse. He's a bunch of brothers. He's the youngest of these brothers. Eventually, he becomes the second king of Israel, but he doesn't come through the lineage of Saul, the first king. You know, Saul's the first king of Israel, and, and normally, you know, Saul's son would become king, but Saul, I mean, Saul was just a train wreck. I mean, he was like a dumpster fire of a king, and things are not going well. So God decides he's going to change the lineage. It's going to eventually become this guy, David. But of course, David doesn't know that. Nobody knows that. Only God knows that. So he kind of talks to this guy, Samuel. God does, and Samuel's a prophet. And he sends Samuel to find and anoint the next king of Israel. That's the very first time we hear about David. This is in 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, um, chapter 16, verse 1. Here's kind of how the story starts. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? I mean... Samuel is like mourning over how bad Saul is and God's like, get over it. He's terrible. We're going to replace him. Okay. I got a plan. I'm God. Like I got a plan. So he says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Just like you do every day, right? I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So here's kind of how the story starts. God goes to Samuel. Hey, Saul's a wreck. You know it. I know it. We're going to fix it. I got a plan. So get your horn, put the oil in it, right? The anointing oil. Again, you know, we don't do this today. You don't walk around splashing oil on people, but that's what they did. Get your anointing oil and go to Jesse because one of his sons is gonna be the next king. So Samuel, he's a prophet. He obeys God. He goes to Jesse's house. Now he doesn't know Jesse. They're not like BFF or anything. So he shows up. He doesn't even know all the people in Jesse's home. He doesn't even know how many kids he has, how many sons he has. So he shows up. Uh, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, and this is like the oldest kid. So Samuel sees Eliab and he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. And the reason is because Eliab was like super stud, man. He's like the rock, you know, who looks better, by the way, anointed with oil. So he's like (laughs) 
super jacked, you know, tall, handsome. I mean, he's got all the stuff you need, you know? I mean, I, I think Samuel walks in, he's like, that's the guy. You know, he's like, throw the oil on the guy, you know? And God says, no, 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 no. This is not the one. Don't do that. But the Lord said to Samuel, verse seven, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord, and this is so important. This is so, so huge. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is a really important passage for so many of us today. Because isn't it true that we have spent, I mean, again, no elbows, but just think about yourself for a second. Isn't it true that we have spent so much of our life trying to be something because somebody else thinks we should be? Listening to comments, trying to live up to something else, somebody else's expectations. Remember how we defined insecurity, right? Insecurity is this, this feeling that, you know, like you're not comfortable being who you are because you're consumed with who you're not, right? That's a little bit of what's going on in this story. There's this outward appearance thing that's going on in the story. Samuel shows up and he's like, let's get the really good looking one. Let's get the tall one. God, surely that's the one you want. Look how kingly he looks. I mean, it's just, it's just human nature. But the human nature that says that causes us as humans to embed that in our heart. And we begin to live those things out. And we think, well, I'll only be loved if, if I could just do this, if I could make it to this, if I could look this way. I mean, we spend so much energy, money, time trying to be something for someone else. Meanwhile, the real self inside of us is just withering away, you know? I mean, every person, every person has a real self inside. Every person has a real self inside, but strives to present this ideal self on the outside, right? I mean, every person does that. Every person has this real self on the inside. And at the same time, they're just striving to present this, present an ideal self to the outside. And the reason is because we just grow up in a world that's so full of comments and comparisons. It's really the comments and the comparisons that become so consuming and they consume your heart and they consume your life and you end up not even knowing who you really are because you're so consumed with who you aren't or who you think you're supposed to be. That's really what's happening in this story. Look, as we continue the story here, this is verse 11. So Samuel asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? <laughs> because, because so far God has been like, nope, 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 the whole way down the list. Are these all the, the kids that you have? And then uh, Jesse says, well, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Basically, Jesse, the dad says, well, yeah, I mean, I got one more, but he's such a goofball. I didn't even bring him in for this whole anointing thing. Like I've given you the good ones already. Uh, these aren't good enough? Like, are you sure it isn't this guy here? Like you saw how awesome that he looks, right? You saw how great he is, right? Have you seen how many pull-ups he can do? Like this is the one, right? So there's this one other kid. He's out tending the sheep. His name is David. So he sent for him 
and had him brought in. He was, this is so funny to me. I mean, this is, this is, this is why I love the Bible. You know, it's real because they talk about themselves like they're, they make themselves look bad. Even like he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and had handsome features. Now it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I think God was like, stop it with the outward appearance. Like, I mean, I think that David walked into Samuel was like, whew, at least he's not ugly. You know, like, which is so silly, but that's how we are. It's how Samuel even was. It's how Jesse was. He didn't even bring the little kid, David, to even be seen by Jesse. It's unbelievable. The story kind of wraps up. He, he says, um, so he, he sent him in, he's glowing, he's handsome. Then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so he does. He, he anoints him with the horn of oil. And, and then you know what David does? <laughs> he just goes back to take care of the sheep. And I think he walked back to take care of the sheep. And again, it doesn't say in scripture. I think he walked back and he was like, man, my dad's a jerk. <laughs> like my dad doesn't think anything of me, does he? Like who else sees me this way? You know, later he kills a lion to protect the sheep. You've probably heard the story. Even if you're not a church person, he kills Goliath eventually. He starts working for Saul, who he eventually replaces, but Saul knows he's going to replace him, and so he starts trying to kill him, and there's this long chase. I mean, you got to read all this, and it's so amazing, the Old Testament. And, and David, the whole time, is wrestling. He's wrestling with himself, with his identity, I think with some insecurity. I think this is why in the book of Psalms, David wrote most of the Psalms. They're songs, they're poems, but really they're just the outpouring of David's heart. When you read it, it's, I mean, if you've ever wondered if God can handle your frustration, read Psalms. I mean, David is so frustrated with God sometimes. He's so frustrated with himself sometimes. And when he penned this one statement, this one idea, I think he was reflecting on all the moments that he had struggled probably with who he really was. And I think he was trying to remind himself of his real self, trying to remind himself of who he actually is. This is in Psalms 139. David writes, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Have you ever thought that about yourself? I mean, seriously, like, have you ever paused long enough to actually think that, that no matter what everybody else is commenting about, no matter what everybody else is concerned about, no matter what anybody else is saying, no matter, no matter what you think is the ideal version of you, the real version of you is the version that God created you to be. The, the you that God created was created on purpose for a purpose. Like your personality, God gave to you for a purpose. Your skills, your abilities, your passions, your desires, all of those things, God gave to you on purpose for a purpose. And the purpose is for you to live them out in freedom and be the full best version of you. Not the version other people think you should be. Not the other version that you have decided is better, but you. You are actually knit together the way God wanted you to be put together. 
that you are fearfully, you are wonderfully made. I, I think this is one of the biggest struggles that David had. I think it's one of the biggest struggles that, that we all have. And this insecurity with our real self plays out in some ways that look different for all of us, but the virus at the core is still the same. It's just this desire to be something that we aren't. But here's the reality. While we created, while, while we created our ideal self, it was God who created your real self. While we created what we think is better, God, who knows better, is the one who created you the way he wants you to be. It's God that created the real you. And here's what I have discovered is I have traversed this in my own life, in my own heart for so many years trying to figure out what to do with it. It is impossible. This is so important. It is impossible for you to be secure in who God made you to be if you are disappointed with who he didn't make you to be. It is impossible for you to be secure in who God made you to be if you are disappointed with his masterpiece, if you're disappointed with his handiwork, if you're disappointed with who you're not, because God didn't want you to be somebody else. He wants you to be you, the full version of you, the actual you. Now, this isn't a license to just be a jerk and go, well, I'm just a jerk. I mean, that's not what this is, right? But it is an opportunity, or maybe we would say it's an invitation. It's an invitation it's an invitation for you to be who God made you to be. It's an invitation for you to become your full real self, but the resurrected version, the refined version, the version God knows you could be and even should be. It's also maybe an invitation to live with yourself, but your real self. And almost stop living a dual life where there's this person on the outside that you pretend to be and this real person on the inside that's dying to escape. It's an invitation to, <laughs> to live with yourself. It's an invitation to live with your real self. Which kind of, I guess, leads to a question or maybe just a statement. Is it time for you to decide who you really want to be? Is it time for you to decide who you are? I mean, who, who are you after all? Who are you? There's, there's really only two answers, by the way, to that question. One answer is, well, I'm who everybody else is trying to make me be. I, I'm, I'm gonna perform my way into who I think is gonna be more loved or more accepted. Or, of course, the other option is to say I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That God made me exactly the way he wants me to be and he wants me to live that out in freedom. I'll tell you, I, it took a long time for me to figure this out. And it isn't like I've mastered it. I mean, I struggle with this all the time still. I mean, I'm, I have insecurities. I feel insecure at times. I'm human. I mean, you do too. But here's what I can tell you. The more that I try to be the real version of me, the more free I feel. The more free I feel from others' expectations, the more free I feel from the, what the world says is expected, what the world says is better, I can just be the person that God created me to be. And there's tremendous freedom in that. To, to help me do that, I started using that Psalm that David wrote almost as a prayer. 
Um, uh, multiple days a week, I will just pray this prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I believe you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So as I thought about today and just the series we're in and what we're trying to figure out, I thought, you know, maybe the best thing that we could do today is just say that prayer together. Maybe it's the first time you've ever even heard those words, but for you to say those words out loud could be so meaningful for you. To hear yourself say that you believe God made you that way, that he believes in you, that he loves you just the way you are. And he just wants to see you grow closer to him. So we're gonna sing a song to close our service and give you a time to just kind of process that. But before we do, could we just stand up and pray this together out loud? Would you mind doing that? Just stand up with me. Um, and I'd love for all of us, even if you're not a praying person, it's okay. You know, just say it out loud. It might mean something to you. But for those of us that are Jesus followers, this is so critical to our heart and our life. So let's just pray this prayer together. You ready? Heavenly Father, I believe you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Can I pray for you, Father God? Thank you for making us exactly the way that you wanted to. Thank you for Thank you for helping us grow closer to you the better we see ourselves the way you created us. God, I just pray for all of us, Father. We all have some amount of insecurity because we live in a world that constantly tells us we're not enough and that we should change, we should perform, we should control. But God, there's no freedom in any of that. And God, the one thing I know for sure is that you didn't send your son to die for us, for us to feel enslaved to the world. So God, I just pray that we will own the fact that you knit us together, that you created us. And Father, give us courage to see ourselves the way that you do. And then give us the wisdom to know what to do with that, to begin to live that out a little bit more every single day. Father, we love you so much. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.